Hi, well, welcome to Church Online. My name is Pete, pastor here at Destiny, and it's so good to have you connecting. Whether this is a regular moment for you at church or whether this is your first time joining us, just great to have you. Uh, we're on a journey. We're working our way through uh, Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, and we're in Matthew chapter 5. And this is a famous section of Scripture called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus unpacks some of the most challenging themes in life. And actually, that's challenging, but it's helpful. And today we're going to be looking at mega challenging themes, lust, adultery, and divorce. So students, if this is your first time at church, welcome to church. We don't always talk about this, but we're in the verses. So we want to be able to look at what Jesus is saying. And actually it's very real and that's actually very helpful. So let's pray and ask that God himself will speak to us as we turn to the Bible. Father, thank you so much that you love each and every person joining today. Father, I'm asking you that you would speak to us through the Bible. I pray open our hearts for those battling with lust. Let this be a moment of challenge and freedom. For those whose marriages is struggling or relationships are struggling, I pray this be a moment of healing. I ask God, help every person, young and old, to be impacted positively. Help me to speak, help us to hear in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. You know, years ago, uh, when my kids, my kids are 19 and 17 now, but when my kids were much younger, uh, we had, you know, various conversations with them about the birds and the bees. And I remember Angie had a birds and the bees conversation uh, with Becky and Michael. And uh, at the end of it, she said, so do you have any questions? This time, they were really young. And Michael said, mummy, why is it when you eat carrots and they're orange, your poo-poo comes out brown? Not sure he totally got the point of the conversation. Either that or he was doing a massive distraction technique, okay? <laughs> it reminds you of the person uh, who said, uh, until today I could never understand how my parents entertained themselves before the days of smartphones and Netflix. I asked my 72 other siblings and they haven't got a clue either. <laughs> you know, these are real subjects that Jesus is about to tackle and we're going to dive into them. But here's, here's the truth and this is the big headline I want you to hear is that God created relationships, God created sex, God created love, and God created attraction. But what sin has done is sin has warped all of those things, and instead of them being helpful in healing, they've become very potentially destructive because of the influence of sin. And that's what Jesus is saying. Let's go to Matthew 5, verse 27 onwards. You have heard that it is said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And that kind of goes both ways, man to woman or woman to man. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Wow. I mean, that's pretty powerful stuff. And, I, you know, we've just been impacted by those verses and I'm going to unpack them. I'm going to, I'm kind of going to go say four things, really, in a moment. I'm going to say, here's, here's two mega points, and then I'm going to give two 
mega applications. But before I get to that, let me just make some general comments about sex and about God. You would think from these verses, you think, well, is God against sex? Is God against attraction? No, not at all. Far from it. He's against lust. Sex in a healthy context is an incredibly healing and positive thing, but lust in every occasion is incredibly damaging and dangerous. If you look at the Bible, the mega picture of the Bible isn't that God's against sex. Far from it. Okay, right from the very early chapters of the Bible, you see God created mankind in his own image and he told us, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, you kind of know how this happens, right? (laughs) Okay, I'm not going to go into that just now, but you know how it happens. We're not gremlins. You don't splash water on us and we multiply, all right? They're, okay, we are fruitful and multiply and there's a particular way this happens. You know, God wasn't up in heaven looking down at the Adam and Eve after creating them saying, what on earth are they doing? You know, he wasn't freaked out, okay? He made it that way. He made it so that it was a beautiful thing, this moment of intimacy. And yes, it's for procreation, but yes, it was also designed by God for joy and excitement and enjoyment. And it's an incredible, beautiful thing. And as you go right through the Bible, you see the picture that God gives us in the Bible is that sex in the right context, the context of covenant and marriage, is a powerful and glorious and exciting and gift from God to us. Thank God. In fact, there's a book in the Bible, Song of Solomon, that's completely given over to celebrating sexual pleasure and intimacy. And actually, in the book of Song of Solomon, there is no mention of kids, just so you know. In other words, the purpose of sex isn't just purely to have kids. It's also to deepen reunion and for great enjoyment. And that's how God designed it to be. However, sin has warped those things. And this is what Jesus is teaching on. The first point I want to make is this. Our world cheapens people. This is what Jesus said. Let's go back to the verses. Verse 27. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, the world decries many sins. You know, it will decry theft or rape or murder, you know, bad sins. And the world would agree with us on that. But when it comes to lust, the world, jury's out, you know, kind of the world kind of says, well, it's maybe not that bad. The, the religion, it emphasizes as long as you don't actually do the physical act, then whatever you think on the inside is not important. But what Jesus did is Jesus went further than religion and he went further than the secular world. And he said that actually lust equals adultery. I mean, wow, why would he say such things? Well, what he's saying is he's saying your intention is as important as your action. In other words, never treat someone in your mind differently to how you treat them in person. That who you are on the inside is actually who you are. Now, the world we're living in has industrialized this sin, and it's made it very easy for people to lust and has actually encouraged it. The pornography industry has thrived in the last four, five decades, and in the last decade has gone to a whole other level. And it's damaging. There's nothing actually in all human history that has had the most damaging effect on society or on family or on marriage than the pornography industry. What makes it so powerful is the three A's. 
accessibility, affordability, and anonymity. You know, it's no longer the days where you get the guy with the dodgy trench coat going into a CD cinema or looking in the top row of a, of a newsagent to buy a magazine. These days it's available. It's available on your smartphones and tablets and on the internet. And it's very affordable and it, you can be anonymous. And that's incredibly dangerous. And it has people hooked. Here's why I believe lust is wrong. And, and but by the way, let, let me say to you that I've done a message in this entitled, I made a covenant with my eyes and where I took an entire much longer message in this to unpack these things in a lot more detail and we'll post that on our Facebook page later today so please go listen to that for, for more listening uh, here's, here's some of the facts about the pornography industry according to Family Safe Media the average age of first exposure to online porn is 8 years old now that is devastating in a young mind uh, the largest group of viewers of internet pornography are children between the ages of 12 and 17. And so for parents, this is a highly important subject that you're alert to this and not naive to this. One in five mobile searches are for pornography. According to Covenant Eyes, 64% of men said they spent at least some time each week online for sexual purposes. 19% of men said they feel controlled by their sexual desires or fantasies of romance. And before you think it's just a, a male issue, it's actually one in every six women uh, report they are struggling with a pornography addiction. And that's on the rise among women. Why is it that Jesus would say that lust and pornography is a wrong thing? And I've got several mega reasons for you. Number one, lust and pornography are wrong because lust and pornography objectifies people. It makes people out to be objects. Not human beings with a soul, but objects to be for your own entertainment. You see, my wife is not just a body. She has a soul. She's a person. So for me to love Angie is to love every part of her. And what pornography does is it makes people desire just the physical and totally ignores the person, the soul, the individual in front of you. Takes away any value that they have as a human being. People are seen as objects or products to be purchased or products to be used and abused for your own entertainment. That is warped and utterly dangerous. Jeffrey Swartz, one of America's leading neuroscientists, he did research onto brain activity and part of the research is he had a group of volunteers in and he rigged them up with monitors on their heads to monitor their brain activity and he showed them a series of film clips and asked them certain questions on one part of the study they showed the audience um, a pornographic scene and they monitored the brain activity and they saw that uh, the area that's, that responds to pornography was going off the charts and actually interestingly it's the same area that's linked to addiction just so you know, it's the same area. It's different to the part of your brain that's stimulated when you're experiencing intimacy with your spouse in marriage. Very different area. That's an area that brings healing. This area that's stimulated during pornography is actually an area that brings destruction and addiction. And so they monitored the brain activity and they saw that the, the, the brain activity was stimulated in a certain way when they're watching this pornographic scene. They stopped the clip 
and then they gave a story to the people. They said, okay, in a minute, we're going to show you another clip. But before we do that, let's tell you a story. And they said, we're going to tell you a story about a girl called Veronica. She's from the Ukraine. And Veronica grew up, her, her mum was a drug addict. Her father abused her until she was age 15. And, and age 15, she got out of the house as quick as she could. She ended up getting involved with the wrong crowds. And through the, her connections, ended up in London uh, but was pretty much forced into a situation where she had no choice but to be involved in the sex industry. And uh, to cope with the, the memories and to cope with what she was living through, she was turning to cocaine on a regular basis. Okay, let's show you a clip about Veronica. And then they played the exact same clip they'd played a minute ago, that pornographic scene. It was the same person. But this time, instead of that part of the brain being stimulated that was that is linked to addiction. Instead, what, was, what we were monitoring was deep empathy and compassion in people's minds. Why? Because they realized that's not just an object, that's a person. She has a life. You see, what pornography does and what lust does is it makes people into objects, into products. But actually, they're not. They're human beings. They're someone's daughter, someone's son, someone's brother, someone's sister. And therefore, and most importantly, are created in the image of God and deserve dignity, value and worth. It's so warped. Number two, the reason lust and pornography are so wrong is it warps our view of beauty. Um, Interestingly, 20 years ago, models in the fashion industry and in pornography were on average 8% weighed 8% less than average women weighed. Today, models in the pornography industry weigh 23% less than the average woman weighs. In other words, they represent 2% of the population. They do not represent the reality. And they they don't even look like they look because of the camera work and because of the lighting and so on. It's a total misrepresentation of reality. And what it does is it warps people's view of reality. It gives people comparisons and contrasts and it creates discontent from loving the people who are around you, who God has placed in your life. It also fuels and is largely to blame for the rise in eating disorders among so many. It warps your view of beauty. Number three, and these are all terrible. Number three, lust is consumed with getting, not giving. In other words, it's utterly selfish. Um, You see, lust says, what can you do for me? Whereas love says, what can I do for you? Very simply, lust gets, but love gives and that's the entire big difference and by the way there's an important tip in there for intimacy with your spouse if you realize that if you if you can engage with love giving and that can be your agenda in those moments of intimacy and the other person can have the same then all of a sudden those moments of intimacy can go to a whole new level just a tip lust gets love gives the fourth reason porn is wrong is It kills intimacy and relationship. John Mayer, well-known singer, traveled the world, famous. He's had famous girlfriends, people like Cameron Diaz, um, Jennifer Aniston, Katy Perry, Taylor Swift are some of his girlfriends. And uh, he he gave an interview recently on Playboy. And by the way, I didn't read it on Playboy. I read it published somewhere else, just to be clear. And in, in in this interview, He said this, I'm now so addicted to pornography and seeing those images that I prefer pornography to relationship with actual women. How warped is that? 
that he's so got involved in a in a virtual world that he's disconnected from the real world. And what pornography and lust will do in people's souls is it will create a distance between you and those near you. If there's a distance between you and your spouse, it might be this is the issue, I'm telling you. If there's a distance between uh, you and your kids, is there something going on in your life that's causing that distance? You feel I can't come near them. It creates distance. Fifthly, lust and viewing pornography is idol worship. I mean, that's a strong statement. But here's what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Wow. You see, beauty should point us to God. You know, beautiful mountain, or you say glory to God, or a sunrise, or a flower. Beauty should point us to God. Beauty should never be the object it should, be the, it should never be the end. It should be the means to an end and God being the end and the worship goes to God. But if we worship the thing, if we worship the beauty, if we worship the person or the, or the sunrise or the sunset or the, the creation rather than the creator, all of a sudden we've become idolatrous. Every time you look at porn, you are worshiping an idol. You want to change your life? Change who and how you worship. So our world cheapens people. But the next point I want to make, and these are from the verses, is our world cheapens marriage. Jesus goes on in the verses in verse 31 and 32 and says, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Wow. Now, just let me say some. Let me set some groundwork before we kind of unpack what Jesus is saying here. He, divorce in the Bible is not a sin. It's in the Bible. It, it wasn't the devil who put it in the Bible. God put it in the Bible, and He gave it as a permission. It wasn't. It was God's idea, but it was never God's ideal. He put it in the Old Testament as a protection for people, especially women who had to separate because of the situation they found themselves in. It was a legal protection for women primarily. God's idea, but never his ideal. Now, what religion had done in Jesus' day, what the Pharisees and the, the rabbis and the, the hypocritical leaders of Jesus' day had done, is they'd taken the fact it was in the Bible, and they would say, hey, and they made it into an excuse for people just to live as they wanted. So at whim, at whim and chasing their desires, they could just, oh, look, it's in the Bible, I'm going to divorce my wife. And you even have rabbis teaching. One rabbi taught that if she spoils your dinner by putting too much salt in it, you can divorce her. If she talks to other men in the streets, you can divorce her. If she's argumentative, you can divorce her. We'd all do well with that one. If a man found another woman attractive, he could just simply divorce his wife. And that's how liberal they were with this divorce law. And as a result, many Jewish girls in Jesus' time were avoiding marriage because they didn't want to find themselves in the position that they were in this insecure relationship. And it was that that Jesus was coming against. He said, you can't use religion just to justify your desires. Our world also cheapens marriage. Today, 40 to 50% of marriages end in divorce. And by God's grace and with wisdom, that does not need to be the statistic to the people I'm speaking to at all. But that's the fact in the world. And because of that fact, what people are doing is people are avoiding marriage because they hey, that doesn't work. 
So they cohabit instead. They still want a relationship, but they don't want that marriage thing because they don't work. So people cohabit instead. But sadly, the tragedy is that cohabitation is even less successful than marriage. Listen to a quote by Mike McManus in Christianity Today. He said, in the end, as few as 15 of every hundreds couples who cohabit go on to create a lasting marriage. In addition, infidelity for cohabiting men is four times that of married men. For cohabiting women, infidelity is eight times more likely. So in other words, people, because they're scared of, I don't want to go into marriage, it might not work. What they're actually doing is them setting themselves up for failure after failure after failure. And that's the tragic, heartbreaking story of our world today. It undermines and cheapens marriage. But Jesus was speaking to God's people, or they should have been God's people, and he was challenging them. Now, this is important you get the context. He wasn't speaking to the Greeks or the Romans. He was speaking to the Jews. This is the context. It's very important. And to God's people, he's saying, within the context of God's people, you can't just divorce at whim. No. Unfaithfulness is the only reason you should be divorcing within the context of God's people. Now, the Apostle Paul, just let me unpack this for you. People think, okay, is that the only reason you can divorce? The Apostle Paul adds an additional clause. Paul, uh, let me take you to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And Paul says, to the married, and he's talking to the married people in church, to the married, I give this command. A A wife must not separate from her husband's, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband's, and a husband must not divorce his wife. So here's Paul speaking firstly to the people in the church. This is God's people. This is people, you're, she's following Jesus, he's following Jesus. Do you know what? Don't divorce. Stay together. And if you do separate, then work on reconciling again. Because within the context of, if you're genuinely following God, hey, anything's possible. You can work this one out. Don't quit on each other. Fight for it. So God's people, Destiny Church Edinburgh, marriages in Destiny Church. If you've separated, fight for it. Don't give up on your marriage. Fight for it and get back. If he's following Jesus and you're following Jesus, then don't give up on it. There's always hope as long as you're genuinely, authentically following Jesus, not kidding yourselves on. But then Paul gives another context, and this is the diff- this is a different context. It's a different context to what Jesus was addressing. And this is what Paul goes on to say. He gives an additional reason why divorce might be possible. To the rest, he says. Now, when he says to the rest, he's talking about, talking about people who are maybe they're married to someone who's no, not a follower of Jesus. To the rest, I say this. If anyone has a brother, if any, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with them, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and is willing to live with her, he must not divorce. She must not divorce him. But if the unbeliever leaves, let them do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. So notice here, Paul, he says what Jesus says. He repeats it, basically, within the context of God's people. He and she are both following Jesus. In that context, there is no excuse for divorce. Even if you separate, work on it and get back together again. Unfaithfulness is the only reason that should happen. But then he takes it out of that context and he addresses a context that Jesus didn't address. And it was the context of in a world where, you know, people are married to people who aren't, haven't got the same fundamental values and foundations, then here's what can happen. If you're building in two different foundations, if you have two different values, life can get to the point where it's so intolerable, whether it be through abuse or whether it be through 
a, a mistreatment that it becomes a point where it's appropriate to separate and divorce. And in extreme situations, that's the right thing Paul is saying. And you are not bound under such circumstances. What, what it means is divorce is permittable. And if, if divor divorce is permittable in God's sight, then remarriage is permissible in God's sight. That's what Paul's teaching. Now let's come back to, we're talking about the fruit there of bad relationships. But let's come back to the root again. Jesus is tackling here with this lust. And I want to end with two applications that are going to help you. The first application is this, God wants you free. <laughs> Listen to what Jesus says. And this is kind of the unbelievable bit. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, you've got to cut it off and throw it away, for it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Wow! <laughs> Jesus! I mean, so next week, if I, if I see you next week with an eye, looking like a pirate with an eye patch and a hook, okay, we know you took it literally, okay? I don't think Jesus is meaning take it literally. I think it's shocking what he's saying, deliberately so. What he's saying is he's not telling, you'll be relieved, breathe a sigh of relief. He's not saying literally cut out your right eye and right hand, all right? None, no one would survive. He's saying do everything you can do to resist lust. Lust is not your friend. It's not to be enjoyed, justified, or mollycoddled. It's to be run away from, fought against, and get help for. Do everything you can to nail that sucker before it nails you. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus loves you that much. He's telling you that this is not your friend. It's your enemy. That's what he's saying. So I encourage you, if you want to deal with lust, you've got to avoid certain places and certain people. You know, if for you going to the gym messes with your head, don't go to the gym. Watching a certain Netflix series messing you up, flick it off and flick on to something else. If, if you traveling with work and you being away from home and, and all that is a cause of constant stumbling for you, you need to change jobs. Hey, you might be on less money, but at least you'd have a bit more peace in your heart. Be wise, be accountable. Be honest. If you blow it and you make a mistake and you think, do you know, I looked at things wrongly or took a step across the line, be honest. Be honest with your spouse. Be honest with, have someone in your life uh, who you can be honest with. And don't just be honest when you blow it. Be honest when you're thinking of blowing it. That's when you can preempt problems in the first place. You know, you're, you're, you're only as strong as you are honest. Put things in place. You know, all of our church staff, we have, we insist if you're going to be on staff in the church, that you install on your computer and on your tablet and on your iPhone a thing called Covenant Eyes, which is an internet monitoring software. My laptop, my uh, iPad, my iPhone have all got Covenant Eyes installed in it. And that means that my wife and my good friend, Graham Williamson, gets a report every week on my internet activity. So there's an accountability there. And that's incredibly powerful. You say, Pastor, are you really that weak? Seriously? No. I'm really that smart. 360 days of the year, I'm not that weak. But there are a few days in the year when I am that weak. And because I've got some things in place, because I've got some lockdowns and filters in place, 
then by God's grace, it prevents me in those weak moments from going to places I should never go. So I'm not that weak, but I am that smart. And I encourage you to be the same. Pete, I've been struggling for years and years. I'm a believer in Jesus, and I'm still struggling. I've been struggling for years with pornography and with lust. I say to you, well done for struggling. Well done for not just giving in. And the fact you're struggling and you're saying, I don't want this, is a good sign. You're still sensitive enough to feel that. Now, put some good accountability in place. But understand the fact you're struggling tells me you're wanting to do the will of God. Now, just put some good things in place in your life. And by the way, reach out to the church online team. Reach out to the church email address, one of the pastors. We want to get in touch. We want you to get in touch if you need help. We want to help you. If you're in a small group, talk to your small group leader. Don't be alone in this journey. That's why being in church isn't just watching a program on a Sunday. It's being connected, fully integrated in the life of church. You need other people, and God's designed it to be that way. You know, thank God, Jesus is saying, cut it off if it's going to take you out. Do you know what? Jesus Christ was cut off for us. On the cross 2,000 years ago, when he hung there on the cross, he paid the price for every sin you and I ever have or ever will commit. The price was paid. You can be utterly forgiven and accepted and declared righteous before a holy God through Jesus' death and resurrection. Isn't that good news? And the final application is this. God wants your passion. So God wants you free, but God wants your passion. And here's the thing, right? Just as in a football game, you need to have a good defense, but you also need to have a good offense. Your good defense is, I'll put some covenant eyes on my computer. I'll, I'll have some accountability in my life. But a good offense is you need to go on the offensive. You need to be proactively doing things. And God, this is what you have to do. God wants your passion. The word lust that's used in these verses we've read, it's a Greek word. It's epithumo. And epithumo is a compound word made up of two parts. Epi, which means upon, and thumos, which means passion. It's, it's to do with what are you setting your passion upon? Now, negatively, people are setting their passion upon the wrong things, and that's lust. But positively, God wants you to set, instead, he wants you to divert your passions and set them on him and his purposes for your life. Let him be a great distraction in your life that keeps your mind occupied and away from all the negative things. Jesus got into a discussion with a woman at a well in Samaria. This is in John chapter 4. And this woman was a, you know, they'd never met before. Uh, but Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, knew everything about her. She was a woman of reputation. And in the conversation, just Jesus dropped the bombshell. He said, listen, you've been married to five guys. And the guy you're with now, your boyfriend's not your husband's. And she said, how do you know me? Because they'd never met before. And then through that conversation, she suddenly realized, you're the Messiah. She suddenly realized, you're the savior of the world. And Jesus gave her this line. They're upside this well. Remember, that's the, Jesus used that as an analogy. And he said this, anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I shall give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I shall give him will become a, in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus met this girl. She was a sex addict. She was going from guy to guy to guy to try and satisfy the deepest longings of her soul, but nothing was satisfying. Do you notice what Jesus didn't do? He didn't throw the book at her. Didn't lecture her on her lifestyle. Instead, he talked to her about her deepest need. He redirected her passion. 
He said, you've been going from guy to guy, from relationship to relationship, to try and satisfy that deepest longing of your soul. And actually, the only way you can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul is in a relationship with God. Come to me. That's what Jesus is saying. And he says that to you as well. Come to Jesus. You know, you've been, you've been looking for that satisfaction in the arms of a man, but you can only find that level of satisfaction in the arms of God. Come to God. It says in 1, Chronicle, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. You are designed to give your best and your passions to things that actually sap your energy. You are meant to give your best and your strength and your energy and your creativity and your imagination to the God who gives you life. And as you do that, you'll find life. And actually, as you do that, as you put him first, then what you'll find is all the other relationships in your life start to go on an even keel as well. It's like the solar system. The solar system works perfectly. Everything's in perfect orbit because all the planets share the same center, the same sun. And that sun gives everything its place. But imagine the solar system if every planet had its own little center. What would happen is the, it would become a junkyard. Planets would float, fly off in different tangents and they would cascade and they'd be demolition at the end of the universe as we knew it. You see, our lives are the same. If you try and make yourself or something else the center, everything flies off and goes into devastation. But when you make God the center of your life like you were created and he gets not just, he's not just technically the center, oh yes, I'm a Christian. No, no, he's got your passion. He's got your passion every day. Then all of a sudden, everything else starts to slip into place. So, are you lusting? Well, stop lusting. Stop treating people like products. Stop cheapening people and warping beauty. Repent. If you're addicted, the good news is you can be free. Get some accountability in place in your life and start pursuing God with others. If you're separated, you're not divorced, but you're separated, then hey, if you're believers, then fight for that marriage and get others involved. Don't try and figure it out yourself. Get others involved. You need some objectivity. And if you've been divorced, you know what I love about Jesus with this woman at the well? He didn't lecture her on her past. He just picked up from today and said, okay, let's now walk today. And God says to you, forget the past. Learn the lessons by all means. But with God's grace, he has a future for you. There is a hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you, you know, each and every person joining today. And God, I know that we've touched on so many things and I realize that for some people, these are really raw subjects. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, ministers to them right now where they are. Come, mighty Holy Spirit, be their comforter, be their counselor, lead them into a good place. Just where you are praying, just maybe open your heart to God. You feel free to open your hands before God if that helps. And just ask God to help you in your area. Take a moment to respond. Maybe there's something I've spoken on that speaks directly into your situation. Take a moment to make your decision, make your response before God just now. While people are doing that, I'm aware maybe you're joining today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. I've got great news for you. God really loves you. And you can have God at the center of your life. When he's at the center, every other thing makes sense. It doesn't mean that life all of a sudden becomes easy. You still have your struggles. But you move on to the winning team. And God is for you. 
that's you and you're saying, Peter, I want God in my life. I need to know this forgiveness. I want to have this new life. Then this moment's for you. I invite you. If you want God in your life, pray this prayer with me just now, just one line at a time. Ready? Pray, dear God, thank you for loving me. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place so that I can be forgiven and have eternal life. I believe you rose from the dead. Take first place in my heart today. I declare Jesus is Lord of my life from now on. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I've got great news for you. God heard you, and he accepts you, and he loves you. Let us know you've prayed, because we want to help you on this journey. We're going to worship God now. Let's open our hearts to God.